Welcome to Automotive Insiders, the podcast series presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. You'll hear from automotive industry experts on the critical issues that are impacting the mobility landscape. Get actionable insights on how to thrive in Automotive 2.0. Now, here's your Automotive Insiders host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. I'm producer and host, Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. I have a very special guest, and I'm so excited to have him because I expect I'm going to learn a lot from him, and I know our listeners will as well. I'm going to introduce to you in a second. He will introduce himself, Elio Trolio. His last name is T-R-O-L-I-O, and he has the title of Senior Manager of Value Engineering at Plex Systems, and we're going to be talking about a big topic, transitioning to automotive megatrends with manufacturing automation. A lot to talk about. Ilio, welcome to OESA Automotive Insiders. How are you today? Hi, Bonnie. Thanks. Thanks for the uh, opportunity to talk to um, the folks there at OESA and, and an opportunity to represent Plex in this dialogue. Well, we're very happy to have you. We've had some Plex speakers on before, and I'm always intrigued with what you have to say about what your organization does. So why don't you give us just a little overview, please, about what Plex Systems is, in case somebody doesn't remember. I, and Ilio, I know you have a very interesting background because I have the privilege of seeing your bio, but why don't you tell our listeners and perhaps our viewers, if we produce the video, what you do, how did you get to this stage in your career? Ilio. Yeah, so thanks, thanks, Bonnie. And, um, you know, it's interesting as where I'm at in my career and being part of Plex System is I, I, have, a, I have a background in engineering and technical uh, in terms of uh, manufacturing focus um, from my early engineering days. And I really <clears throat> got a chance to get into automotive industry to, via uh, the automotive OEMs and really learning about product development and supply chain operations from early on in my earlier parts of my career in the Detroit metropolitan area. And, and it was really fascinating where I could actually work with different product development teams to take a, a new idea, a new concept and help drive a lot of developments and new, new products, new, new vehicles. And then, and then how to, how do we execute that out in the plants and so forth, and then work with a lot of the production personnel as a result of trying to, you know, make this, you know, product come to life, if you will, and then basically reach the market uh, objectives. And so I had an opportunity to do that with some automotive companies, both with uh, General Motors and, and Chrysler. And then I got a chance to then switch gears and work in an automotive uh, in a tier one supplier in, in uh, uh, Magna, excuse me, where they have uh, uh, pretty much the headliner division where it's more interior focused and I had a chance to work with them in terms of supplier development type of capacities. Mm -hmm. What's interesting, how did I get into software technology was I transitioned out of business schools, basically try to, you know, drive continuous improvement, process improvement from a technology perspective versus a process perspective. And that's where majority of my career has been since uh, with a few different software providers on a product lifecycle management perspective with Siemens and, and PTC, but then also some IT experiences with a major um, IT provider and BMC in terms of back office IT uh, technologies, if you will. <clears throat> What's fascinating about Plex Systems and why I'm excited about Plex is we have a great portfolio of smart manufacturing technologies that really help 
with the, the notion of industry 4.0 and industrial automation. And those are the kind of the, the I would say the, the mega interest and trends today that we see to try to drive transformation, operational excellence in a lot of the manufacturing competitive marketplace. Thank you, Elio. What brought you to Plex? You've had a very storied career, and I love the way you dropped the names yeah. of, of the companies you work with. You've done IT, you've done design, product development. I think you could write a book on on the transformation of automotive over, I'm not going to ask you how many years, but you certainly have seen a lot of changes. What brought you to Plex? Yeah, I, f- I found that, um, you know, just a Plex um, portfolio of technologies and it actually is purpose-built technologies based on automotive environment. So we actually grew out of an automotive plant. And um, <clears throat> what was really exciting is that I could actually circle back to my earlier parts of my career and spend more focus in, a, in an industry I've always had a passion for. So it, it, to me, it was more of, you know, the, the opportunity for a smaller company, um, you know, a small smaller firm compared to like the larger software entities that I worked for to try to bring some of that knowledge and help develop and help grow the company, but also to, to penetrate and, and expand into some of our largest automotive suppliers and really drive a lot of the continuous improvement and change and operational excellence that they're uh, experiencing that they want to achieve today. Sounds like a good fit. I have a personal question for you, Mr. Trollio. I hope this doesn't get too personal. Yeah, drink the water. You might need to have your whistle for this one. You know where I'm going with this. First car. Everybody has a memory. First car. What year was it? What color was it? What model did you get a hand-me-down from mom or dad or a brother or sister? Did you buy it used? Did you buy Tell me, what was your first car? I want a story. Ilio. Yeah, it was no hand-me-down. I had to <clears throat> I had to earn my own keep and uh, purchase my own vehicle at a age at a young age, 17 years of age, I think. Uh, you know, you get excited when you have a license, but you need a vehicle to kind of use that license. And so, um, I was really excited at that at that time in my life to get maybe a sports car or something flashy. Um, I ended up settling in on a Pontiac Grand Prix. Um, it was a 1978 Pontiac Grand Prix. It was. It was a beautiful Sunday afternoon and it was sitting on, you know, a residential property. And I took a look at it with my dad and it was pretty much, it looked like it was in great shape. It had a nice blue exterior paint, like a a real like deep blue kind of color, but it had like metallic kind of flashy look to it. And then the interior had nice, um, you know, nice leather seats and it was more taupe and and beige in, in color. And it was like just a nice balance between the two. Um, and so I was excited about that car. Um, unfortunately, that car kind of um, didn't really perform well for me because it was around 100,000 miles. And then that engine, that 301, 301 engine, if I remember right, um, the cam shaft or um, I think it was the cam shaft that was just not working. And, um, and I lost uh, pretty much the use of the car. I only put 6,000 miles on it. So uh, I ended up using my parents' cars more and more so than I used that vehicle. So that's why I, that car probably stands in my my memory bank pretty well. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Sometimes the car we want, and I really appreciate the detail. I could see the color. My dad had a Buick Electra 225 Midnight Blue. Do you remember what that boat size car looked like? And when I was in high school and my parents were out of the country for a couple of weeks, I got to drive that car to school and pick up my friends in it. And it was like, wow, that's such a classy car. I didn't have to buy it or use it, but I just got to borrow it. Ilio, thank you for sharing that. Now, I know our listeners are really looking 
forward to. Oh, by the way, what <clears throat> card did you get after that? Come on, what, what was your next card? Ah, uh, oh, then I did a. Uh, uh, it was actually a Ford product, so I switched from GM to Ford. I went with a Mercury Cougar. It was a 1984 Mercury Cougar. It was red in color. Interior is similar in terms of the beige color, but I went with uh, a Ford product. I think it was a 302 engine on that one. And actually, it did better for me. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you experience all different makes and models over your life, and then you kind of settle in on what you really like later in life. Yes, an expensive trial and error. Thank you very much. <laughs> Elio, thank you for the stories. Let's talk about why you're here. You have sent me some really interesting topics. Let's start out with something called OEE. I will translate for our listeners. It's overall equipment effectiveness. And you told me before we started that this measure is going to the forefront of concern for manufacturing leaders where they want to drive improvement. So why don't you break this down or unpack this for us, please, Elio. Take about three or four minutes and let's do a deep dive into what this means. Go ahead. Sure. No, Bonnie, thank you for that. And it's it's a it's a topic and a metric, I think, that's really coming about with a lot of the automotive firms that I get a chance to work with and we get the chance to investigate where we can drive value in their manufacturing operations. It seems like it's a weakness for a lot of uh, manufacturing leaders to, to drive a lot of productivity gains with OEE. And OEE really consists of like three different components. Like the first component of OEE is about downtime. Like how much downtime is the equipment experiencing, right? In terms of being available to produce a unit of production, if you will, right? The other component, other two components are the the actual yield, meaning how many units can it produce at a, at a specific rate? And then the third is what's the quality rate, if you will, of the products that are being produced. So it's, once you take those three factors, that's how you kind of compute OEE. And this is just a simplistic description in my mind. You know, what's interesting about it is if you unpack that, Bonnie, it's, it's about you know, it's about that downtime where it's like, how do we have better visibility control and be more predictive and seeing when downtime is going to occur before it does happen? Because that's what's critical about capacity management. It's about minimizing the downtime because a lot of these auto firms are building, you know, their products and they're budgeting their projects and their product uh, offerings to what the available capacity is. And they're pricing it that they're pricing that in when they do quote to the OEMs. And when they don't have that equipment performing at such a high level or at the quoted level, then they're starting to impact profitability. And so what's exciting about the technology space is like we can actually have some technologies that can monitor the health of the equipment. So that way, manufacturers can get insights on some of the, the inputs, the process parameters that control the machine. It could be the energy that it consumes, it could be it could be the environment that it is it's in in terms of temperature and humidity. It could be a number of factors that you you want to measure, and then once you kind of flag those things, you can then alert when a potential issue may happen. So by doing some of these advanced monitoring capabilities through the Internet of Technologies, um, Internet of Things, excuse me, applied in industrial fashion, companies can better get that handle on what they can control and minimize in terms of downtime. So that seems to be a big value proposition that we experience a lot of our automotive companies. Thank you, Ilio. I, I talk to a lot of business leaders and technology leaders on my various radio shows, and this has been something we've been speaking about for the last couple of years, is how do you predict or know when something's going to happen? And I've even heard tell that cars, maybe some already do, Ilio, will tell you, hey, Ilio, 
a voice will tell you in the voice of your choice in your car will say, Elio, that fan belt is about to break. You've got 6.2 miles left. We've made an appointment for you at Frank's Auto Shop at exit 62. You have enough gas in your tank, enough bandwidth on that belt to get there. They have the belt in stock. They're waiting for you. Please pull off at that exit. There's a sandwich shop next door. We've already ordered your favorite hamburger for you. Go in and have that belt changed. We'll have you back on the road in 48.6 minutes, and you will make it to your child's recital in time. Have you heard that prediction, Ilio? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, obviously it's hard to get to that nirvana state and it's not easy for a lot of companies to to get there, but it's it's not just one company, it's a whole network of companies that have to participate and be able to share and exchange information. So I think, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, advancements that has happened whether it's the internet of things, augmented reality, virtual reality, you know, artificial intelligence, all, all the bots that we are exposed to. There's a lot of automation with, you know, in the software technology space to help facilitate a lot of that kind of communication. Yes. Um, but that's very exciting. I, I Obviously, from a customer perspective, that's, that's got to be the, the, the most uh, highly anticipated type of an experience that you could have, right? And the fact that they take care of your hunger at the same time is even better, right? Hey, I, I, I threw that in for the story, Elio, just to make yeah. you smile. So yeah. thank you. Thank you very much. Let's go to your second topic. And this is yeah. related. You'd want to talk about production monitoring and reporting. And it's interesting. You told me that many automotive firms are struggling with real-time reporting on their daily operational activities because they need to drive planning for the shift, the day, the week of production, maybe minute by minute is how do you make efficiency in your manufacturing process. Talk to us about that, please. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of the automotive companies, tier ones and, and below, we, we tend to experience like the manufacturing managers, leadership team, I should say, um, <clears throat> really manually and... Um, you know, virtually trying to, you know, capture data and manage the data and actually report on what happened the day before, right? And a lot of times there's they're, they have stand-up meetings in the morning and they're spending a few hours talking amongst themselves between departments, trying to figure out like, you know, what inventory do I have today to build? What are my orders? What are my, what are my delivery commitments that we've established, right? And what, and eventually they, they kind of go around the table to determine what they can do between the different departments. And then all of a sudden they have a list of shorts is what they call it. Basically what product lines and what materials are going to be short to meet the, the customer um, commitments that they have for that day or that week. What I find is, you know, all that information is not available because there's all disconnected systems and manufacturing operations. And a lot of these leaders need like an aggregate type type of technology that can simply give them that production monitoring and real-time mm-hmm. data to see what's happening in every department, what's happening at every production line, even at a particular machine that might be a, you know, a critical uh, machine in the plant. And so those are the things like through technology to kind of advance the decision-making of this leadership team that's pretty important because if you think about it, they're very highly skilled, highly paid individuals, and they're spending a few hours each day you know, combing through data, trying to make decisions on it. And then by the time that's all said and done, the data has changed. And so the decision-making process is impacted. So, you know, it's real struggle for a lot of these companies and it doesn't get any better when there's a lot of shifts in demand in the marketplace from the OEMs and there's, and there's uh, you know, supply chain issues that we're all seeing with the pandemic and stuff. 
you know, at, at different levels of the supply chain. But it, that's kind of the biggest thing that we do see is that from a production monitoring reporting perspective, that could be an easy first win when they're looking at going down the journey of smart manufacturing. Thank you. And Ilio, you just dropped the phrase that's on the tip of everybody's tongue today. It's something that maybe two or three years ago you would be hard-pressed to hear at a cocktail party or on a casual, hey, what's new with you? And the phrase is supply chain, two words that we know go together. And now everybody knows what it is or they think because it impacts us as consumers. It impacts People in the industrial sector, it impacts every part of manufacturing, right? Whether we're talking the chip shortage, whether why it took me six weeks to get a screen door, why why I can't even get cream cheese in the supermarket. They told me it's a supply chain issue. I want to see the tanker that's got a supply of, I won't tell you the brand, but we know what it is, cream cheese sitting somewhere, hopefully in a refrigerated truck. So let's talk about something that really is important. We're hoping manufacturers will be able to achieve forecasting accuracy, I'm going to say, oh my goodness, is it possible? Ilio, talk to us. Yeah. And you, I think you left out uh, toilet paper too. And that, in that sorry. Field, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that goes far back already. That yeah. was a year and a half ago. Come on, we're past so, that. <laughs> so anyways, uh, yeah, what's interesting about supply chain planning, and it's not, it's not a new concept. It's not, it's not a new, you know, activity within manufacturing operations. We've all been you know, managing supply chains and managing material flow and production uh, operations for decades and maybe even centuries, right? And the thing is about with, um, you know, with this whole pandemic, there's like a lot of focus on chip shortages and the demands that are pulling chip manufacturers into all the industries that are affecting tremendously the automotive firms. And as you know, recently, a lot of these automotive companies had to shut down again because of chip shortages, what have you. You know, my experience is in working with some of the uh, tier one suppliers and, and they have to follow suit too in specific OEM supply chains to shut down because of that. But what I do see also is that they're very immature with the technologies they have in place today in terms of how they do forecasting, how they do long range planning. You know, how are they able to, you know, identify weeks and months out when they think they're going to have shortages and when they need to reorder or actually source material with another uh, another provider. And so those are the things I think through better automation where, you know, mm-hmm. getting away from spreadsheets. I was working with uh, one manufacturer, automotive uh, tier one manufacturing in Ohio. And basically, you know, they're, that's what they're doing, manual spreadsheets. They throw a resource at it, but then they still have, you know, these conditions where they might have to expedite material, you know, may not have to uh, you know, be able to basically uh, deliver on the commitments. And then so they're actually paying more for this. And then at the end of the day, a lot of the lines are actually being, you know, um, resequenced, if you will. And basically it's impacting other orders as you go. So it's not, it's not just the, the initial experience. It's about the domino effect too. And so I think there's a, you know, there's a play here where a lot of companies can do a better job of demand planning and forecasting what their needs are, even even with the anomaly of of the pandemic causing the shipping problems, what have you, you still need to have the foresight and based on the demands to be able to compute what are you going to need on a specific day, week, month, and uh, and be able to communicate that with your supply chain. So there's not like an, a very delayed notification change. They have full advance notice. Um, many weeks, many months ahead of time so they can be synchronized with what you need. 
Used to be location, location, location. Now <laughs> it's communication, communication, yeah. communication, right? Ilio, I have a question for you. This isn't sure. one of your topics, but this is in the notes you sent me. As an industry expert, we'd love to know what advice you have for the automotive supplier community. And I noticed here that you you said to me in your notes, start with value-based use case adoption when implementing technologies in your operations. Can you condense that into a short piece of advice for our listeners so they have something really to, to cling on to here or to tone in on? Yeah, I mean, there's a tremendous value with ERP and, M- and MES manufacturing execution or enterprise resource planning technologies to help manufacturers drive improvements in their plants. The key thing is there's a lot of capability within those two type of um, realms of manufacturing um, technologies. And you really have to figure out like, what are your top three to five challenges and pain points that the, the business is experiencing? And really kind of focus in on what are the technology use cases that can solve those problems that can derive um, benefits for the organization and really get those individuals and constituents in those um, um uh, resources involved in that process to really decide like what problems are we truly trying to solve with technology? Because then what that means is then we say, okay, what are, what's the specific set of features and functions that actually can help solve that problem? And we define that as a use case. And in this fashion, it's like, here's the problem that we have. Here's the solution for it. Here's how we're going to prove that out with this use case. And we're going to, we're going to apply the technology, deploy it and solve that one or two key problems and then get an early win. And in this fashion, you know, it could be something like production reporting in real time where the management team can actually see, you know, how, how their plants performing in real time have greater visibility. And then they'll have better insights to say, okay, well, I'm missing this data with on a delivery side, or I'm missing this data on quality in terms of cost of poor quality. They can then go in and say, okay, now let's expand the adoption of the technology to focus in on some of these other areas and get further value with the same platform that they deployed. And in this way, you get more of the people, you know, behind the movement internally. We talk about these trends, but it's also about reorganizing the organization and the people and looking at the processes to try to say, how do we best meet the demands of the marketplace, but the people are got to be willing to change. And in my opinion, if you get them these some of these example wins where they can see and experience and visually or you know experience the benefits to them, then that's going to drive that change and momentum in the culture. And that's how you see a lot of these companies that are performing really well. Is get they have a culture where people are submitting ideas for improvements. And that's the same kind of thing with technology transformation. They've got to be bought in and, and what's in it for, what's in it for them excuse me change management adopting concepts and ideas and seeing the benefit very well put uh it's called what's in it for me or what's in mm-hmm. it for the company or what's in it for us isn't that what we're looking for in change management in the company what's in it for us as workers as investors as shareholders sure. as beneficiaries as customers as ecosystem members I have a maybe a tough question for you, Ilio, and, and I'm really enjoying talking to you. A lot of great information, and we are so appreciative that you're sharing your insights. Question. It's now the end of October 2021. Oh, my. We, we were struggling to get through 2020, and here we are almost a year later. We're still looking at the end of that tunnel. We're not sure where it is. But if we met again, you and I, and I hope we do, let's say one year from today, mm-hmm. 2022, late October, 
would we still be talking about the same need for manufacturers, for tier one, two suppliers to understand how to implement new technologies, to have to get on board those trends? Will the trends have changed? That was a big question. But anything you want to give us a prediction on where you think we're heading in another year? What do you see? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've all been exposed to some of the advancements in technology in automotive space, especially with electric vehicle and hybrid vehicles. And, and it's been a it's been a journey for the OEMs to kind of move away from just full gas uh, powertrains, if you will, to then hybrid and then to full you know electric electric powered uh, automobiles. But, you know, if you think about like the investment that Ford's making or has made $8 billion, and that's a big bet on this, you know, electric vehicle marketplace, you know, the Ford Lightning truck, it's an exciting product. And it seems like it might be able to perform and meet the needs of kind of like the mass market. I want to say like the heavy duty, you know, weekend haulers type of uh, personnel, but um, those that are just driving a truck and just want to have more space and be able to bring things to their home and have more of that capability. It seems it's pretty intriguing. I think um, the more that we see that trend towards electric vehicles, the more I think we need to think about the infrastructure and then all the suppliers mm-hmm. that would have to participate with the changes today. It could be not only the actual physical products that are on the vehicles, but it could also be, you know, the power systems and, and so forth that necessarily support electric vehicle. You know, I think it's still the journey on smart manufacturing is, is going to, take place over over many, many, many years. So I think if we were to meet next year at this time, you know, maybe OEE and production monitoring reporting are are things that people are spending more and more time investing in. But I think there's could be other areas of shop floor operations when you look at industry 4.0 and you know digitizing a lot of the controls and digitizing a lot of the different equipment out there and being able to not only have it where they can visually see what's happening in their operations, but they can have better connectivity upstream to the engineering departments and, you know, R&D or organizations, excuse me, so they can get better visibility to to planning for new products in in their portfolio so they can actually streamline even further. The automotive industry continues to streamline the lead time that it takes to develop and manufacture and bring a product to marketplace. And I think that's still going to continue to consolidate with a lot of digital automation. And I think it has to happen from the from the shop floor, from industrial automation and adoption. Ilio Trolio, Senior Manager at value, of value Engineering at Plex Systems. I want to thank you for your time. We have to do a shout out to two people, Ilio, and I know you're going to help me thank them. Sarah Hummel in marketing at Plex. Sarah, thank you for working with us behind the scenes and getting Ilio here today and helping him with his preparation. We really appreciate you, Sarah. And Drew Rhodes at OESA, our showrunner, I call him, who works with me to set all these up, and David Johnson at OESA as well. So, Ilio, there's only one thing left for us to do is wave goodbye to the video, and I want to say thank you to you. And thank you to everyone for listening. Bonnie D. Graham signing off off for another really, really interesting and informative session of Automotive Insiders from OESA. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA. Listen at your convenience to industry thought leaders as they discuss the ever-evolving industry and how companies can thrive in the new mobility landscape. All episodes are on demand on the Voice America Business Channel 
and at OESA.org. Automotive Insider is presented by the Original Equipment Suppliers Association.